This Slate spoiler special is meant to be played after you see the movie being discussed. The podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Spy, the new Melissa McCarthy comedy vehicle directed by Paul Feig. And joining me to discuss it is Forrest Wickman, a senior editor at Slate. Hey, Forrest. Hey, Dana. Um, all right, so I, I chose you for this one for a specific reason, because you have a thesis or a theory, I don't know what to call it. You have a frame, a framework with which to talk about Spy that I love, that I can't wait to get into. But first, I think we should do a little setup of, of, of what this movie is and what it's about. So um, this is the third time that director Paul Feig, director-writer Paul Feig in this right. case, because he wrote the screenplay too, and Melissa McCarthy have worked together. The first time was Bridesmaids, in which McCarthy had a significant but small role. Um, the second was The Heat, with uh, Sandra Bullock and McCarthy paired. As, as female buddy cops. And and now we have Melissa McCarthy for the first time starring. She basically is the solo spy heroine of this movie, although she's amply aided by a large and really strong, I think, supporting cast. Um, so let's try to just briefly set up the premise of Spy, and then we'll, we'll get into some spoilage. Uh, when Spy begins, uh, Melissa McCarthy's character, who's named Susan Cooper, is basically a... I, I like to think of her as basically Miss Moneypenny. Like this movie... And this will kind of start to get into my theory, but this movie to me is kind of like Miss Money Penny leans in. So in yeah, the Bond right, movies, right. in the Bond movies, Miss Mo- Money Penny is this secretary who sits back at her desk and like greets James Bond every time he comes back from his adventures, and then they flirt briefly, but like she never gets him, and the, and uh, in the sense that she never gets to, uh, you know, become his lover, but she always or wants go to. on his spy adventures. Right, right. But I would say that she's she's kind of a 21st century Miss Money Penny in the sense that she is also the in-ear device of the agent, the very Bond-like agent named Bradley Fine, who's played by Jude Law. So as we first see him in the middle of this, I think he's supposed to be in Bulgaria at the beginning, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. He's in the middle of this complex Bond-like killing spree on a on a boat at a fancy country house, and we gradually come to realize that everything he's doing is being seen through a monitor by the Melissa McCarthy character back at CIA headquarters in Langley, and that she is in his ear telling him, you know, there's a guy coming up on your left or whatever, and she's kind of basically uh, almost arranging the entire mission from afar. Right. So as the movie begins, though, so she's talking Jude Law through this crazy mission at the Bulgarian, whatever it is, safe house, and there's a funny moment where he, there's a Bulgarian gangster and sort of um, black market arms dealer and general Bond-like bad guy who is the sole person who knows where this rogue nuclear device is that's being traded on the black market that Jude Law is trying to track down. And, uh, and it's the very moment that this Bulgarian baddie has said, I am the only one who knows Jude Law's character sneezes and accidentally shoots him in the head. So right. he's now killed his his single source for uh, for tracking down the nuke. Um, and then he comes back, and we kind of see their relationship with e- with each other, which is that she has a huge crush on him. So they need to figure out how to track down this nuke. The Jude Law character goes after uh, the the big bad guy's daughter. Played by Rose Byrne of Bridesmaids, who is right? great in this movie. Really I think. great, and is just pretty consistently great in these comedies and mostly supporting roles. Though in Neighbors, she was like pretty much a co. And she has a great juicy villain to play in this. I mean, she's yeah. sort of you know just tricked out to the max with these huge hairdos and at one point is, is accused by the McCarthy character of dressing like a slutty dolphin trainer which yeah, I love that line. line and she's just always you know in some skin tight outfit and high heels running away and is also just a complete foul mouthed bitch just like a really really nasty person and she truly enjoys the role so Jude Law goes tries to find Rose Byrne and since we're spoiling we can now get into this everyone be warned this is called a spoiler special for a reason um, but this movie is full of a lot of these kind of plot twists oh, yeah. that Melissa McCarthy's character Susan 
must witness from the desk at Langley as, apparently, Jude Law is killed by the Rose Byrne character. Which... You said apparently. I will say, I never really bought this. Because you see it all from his perspective. So if you've watched a lot of movies like this, you're like, oh, he's not really dead. Because I saw Mission Impossible, which is like has the same plot right. line with the John Voight character and so he's, on. He's just also sort of too big a character and a name above the right. title to be dead at that point. You're sort of, you know, this isn't psycho. They're not going to bring Jude Law in and kill him 15 minutes into the movie. But at least that does give Susan Cooper, the uh, the loyal CIA bureaucrat played by McCarthy, an excuse to get into the field herself because she believes he's dead. You know, interestingly, this is where we learn uh, McCarthy's position in this office or her character's position in this office, which is that uh, at some point we discover that she actually was the top of her class uh, in her spy training school and uh, can has like incredible martial arts skills. And we, and we see this in an old black and white right. sort of training video from her school days, right? Yeah. And uh, and yet she's oh, and then uh, her superior, who's played by Allison Janney, comes to realize like, oh, and she's, she just says, you've been sniped. And we never really get an explanation of that term, but I, we're, we're like made to understand, I think, all of the guys like it, Allison Janney is in a role of leadership here. But there's like all the uh, the rest of the rooms are always full of guys and they've basically learned to keep the women down in part. Through aggression, I think, which we see a little bit of with Jason Statham character, oh, who we yes, should we definitely will get to talk him. about. We'll get to him. I love him. In his... And also just through wooing your assistants and making them it, like I think Jude Law kind of passive aggressively keeps her home, too. Right. Yeah. 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 There's, there's really a lot going on in this movie about sexism that's much more complicated than men are the bad guys oppressing right. women and women are the heroes who are going to kick their asses. Right. It goes way beyond that. And I want to get into your theory of how it goes way beyond that. But let's just get two more minutes of setup to get Melissa McCarthy out in the field. So thinking that Jude Law is dead, she volunteers for this very dangerous mission to go. Well, it's actually not supposed to be dangerous at the beginning. She's just right. supposed to track and report, as Allison Jenny says. She's supposed to go figure out where the nuke is and report back, you know, who's trying to get their hands on it. But of course, things get screwed up. And once she gets out in the field, she does have to become this actual super agent. Okay, so now I want to get to the Jason Statham, which is my favorite, I think, supporting character and running joke in the movie. So Jason Statham, using his own Cockney accent, which I love to hear him speak in, plays this very macho and arrogant other CIA agent at the at the office named Rick Ford, who's so put out that he didn't get to go on this big mission, even though he actually quits. He he quits quits over a woman basically being chosen for this job. So he storms out of the office in a huff, but he proceeds to pop up through the rest of the movie, apparently on his own dime, he is now tracking Melissa McCarthy's character around the world for the sheer purpose, essentially, of popping up to say how much better he could do it. Right. And so there's all these wonderful monologues where he kind of corners her and starts bragging about his own spying prowess. And I just love to see Statham go comic. I mean, he's great in action roles, too, but he doesn't really do that much action in this movie. You don't really see him beat many people up. He basically is there to be funny. Well, I mean, the whole point is that he just keeps telling these incredibly overblown stories that are basically so overblown that they can't possibly be true. And then whenever he actually gets into action, and, and mostly the key instance we see of this is at the very end of the movie when he finally like barges in to save the day and he just like gets his coat stuck on a doorknob and then falls on his face and is knocked out. Yeah, he's a and, buffoon. Or what about the moment where he, this is at the very end, when he's on the speedboat and he's all like, oh. I'm off to Capri or something. And then he's zooming around and then Melissa McCarthy says to Miranda Hart, who is a wonderful actress who plays uh, another CIA bureaucrat, yeah, yeah. says, does he know this is a lake? Right. And we become aware that Jason Statham is just going to be sort of circling <laughs> endlessly in this contained lake. Okay. he's So he's awesome. I think besides Melissa McCarthy, he's the best thing in this movie. Absolutely. I think 
that really kind of does it for the setup because otherwise it is yeah. just like chasing bad guys around various uh, cities in Europe. But let's 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 talk about a couple larger concepts and let's start with Melissa McCarthy and this moment in, in her career and like why it is that it's exciting that she's got a lead role. Yeah, I mean those other movies that she did with Paul Feig did really well. Even even The Heat, which uh, didn't get the greatest reviews, and I thought was kind of uneven, though I mostly liked it. Um, I mean, it was a disappointment after Bridesmaids, though. Oh, right? for sure, definitely, definitely a disappointment. But just at the box office, it did pretty well. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the one of the biggest questions coming into this movie is basically how seriously is this movie going to take Melissa McCar- McCarthy? We have her playing an action star, and is it just going to be as is? been, I think, too often the case with her, like a bunch of fat jokes or a bunch of like she is not attractive in the conventional Hollywood way. Right. Jokes. I mean, with her, it kind of goes beyond. And I, I thought about this in my review of Identity Thief, that really terrible movie um, mm-hmm. that she made with, with Jason Bateman that really just did not get her persona at all. And I felt like it sort of asked a lot of her without delivering very much in return. And it wasn't just fat jokes. I feel like 10 or 15 years ago, it would have been just fat jokes. Now yeah. it's this more complicated thing where it's sort of like feminist fat jokes that are also about her kind of uncouthness and inability to fit into social situations and just take advantage of this talent that Melissa McCarthy has for essentially kind of uh, comic excess. You know, I mean, she can be, she can sort of put out extremes of like rage, which she does in The Heat, or kind of pitiableness, which is kind of what she puts out in Identity Thief, and occasionally Bridesmaids. I mean, she can can kind of project a lot of affix at once in this, on this very broad spectrum. And Paul Feig is great at harnessing that when he, when he does it right. And I think in this movie, he does. We, we didn't do our usual sort of go around to just say at the beginning, did you like this movie? And I think I forgot to do that because we both really liked oh, it, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I will say, like, I don't think every joke in this movie lands, A. And B, it's too long. Like, all of Paul Feig's comedies have been two hours long. And it, I, I, I didn't ever get bored, but I do think this movie could have been, like, a nearly perfect, nearly classic movie at 90 minutes if they just kept all of the good yeah, jokes. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's, I mean, that is actually maybe a broader problem with, with American comedies right now yeah. is that they tend to be too long and overstuffed and maybe don't even belong on the big screen but the small. I mean, a little sidebar on Paul... Feig, he was also the co-creator of, of Freaks and Geeks, which to me is kind of like the it's like the uh, the Matrix. It's like the the petri dish in which so much of right American comedy was born from right, right. now, right? Like. Seth Rogen, James Franco, like all the people that came out Jason of there, Siegel. Jason Siegel and Apatow himself. I mean, those people have all gone on to sort of create other comedies. And I think the best thing that Judd Apatow has done since Freaks and Geeks is girls. You know, I think that's maybe where his talent belongs is in these smaller, more gem-like stories that are tied up in just half an hour. Because talk about too long. I mean, we're not talking about Apatow here, but his movies are all sprawlingly too long. Yeah, and uh, this movie looks good, I guess, but it's not a parody where a lot of the jokes come in the direction like the the in terms just as long as we're doing a brief aside on Paul Feig like his direction in terms of uh, genre parody and like there uh, is is not what makes the fun- movie funny like there is a James Bond like opening credit sequence for example but there's basically no joke in it but the closing credits are fantastic, and we'll get to the closing credits in a minute. They're really, right. they're really great, I think. Okay, so let's get to your thesis about um, this movie's sexism, lack of sexism, commentary on sexism, because I, I really thought that was an interesting way to frame it. Yeah, I think what I said to you is that this is just a, a James Bond parody where the villain is the patriarchy, and I think that plays out in ways both very overt, like the character of Aldo, who we have not talked about, who we should definitely talk about, who is just a incredibly over-the-top 
Italian macho caricature who is constantly sexually harassing and really sexually assaulting her. Yeah, okay, yeah, let's talk about Aldo just briefly to set up who Aldo is. He's a character played by Peter Serafinowicz, mm-hmm. the Brit- British comic. As a convincing Italian, although at the end there's this yeah. funny change-up where we're not sure what his real nation- nationality is, and I love that his very last line is like, or am I? Is he British yeah. or is he Italian? But his main character trait is that he's constantly groping Melissa McCarthy as they're on these very dangerous missions. So even as they're, you know, hanging from a helicopter, you know, being flown away by the bad guy and like about to die, he's still trying to get a grope in of her breasts. And I guess, I mean, I don't know. I, I sort of felt like I was, I should be offended by this character on behalf of feminism everywhere. But there was something so kind of kind of lame and inoffensive about his groping and yeah. something so masterful about the way she dismissed it and was not at all intimidated by it that I, I thought they had a funny relationship. Also, Peter Serafinowicz is just funny. So did you laugh at So I had a really conflicted relationship with this character. It didn't offend me because I found it very uncomfortable, basically. It never felt to me like we were laughing with this guy who's sexually assaulting her or thought it was funny. But on the other hand, for me, it just felt kind of not funny. Like, he was a bummer for me whenever he came on screen, and he was, like, an interesting aspect of the movie. I felt like the movie's heart was in the right place, but I did not laugh. Oh, I disagree. I think maybe a little bit too much time was spent on that, and that joke happened a few too many times. But but I think they carried it off pretty well. And the scene where he has to untie her by kind of, like, climbing on top of her and wriggling, I mean, that's a classic, too, right? The sort of, like, accidental sort of sexual encounter between two people who are trying to escape. I mean, I'm sure that's in—God, I would love to see a supercut. I'm sure that's been in movies for generations, right? For sure. Um, But it gets more raunchy in this situation. And, you know, you might argue, as you say, more sexual assaulty. To me, it feels a little bit like um, applying... I mean, this movie is so deliberately taboo-breaking and over-the-top and deliberately raunchy in general that those moments didn't didn't really bother me. But I agree. I would have rather seen a little more Statham and less Serafinowicz. I think he's kind of the big key example of um, the most overt sexism. but uh, I don't want to rehash this too much, but the, there's also just the kind of more subtle stuff of, of just, you know, don't, don't speak up for yourself. We learned that um, her character was told as a child by her mother that she should never speak for herself or never, like, dream of anything. And that's basically she's the exact co- opposite of the Jason Statham character who is constantly talking big game and not actually achieving anything. Right. And I think I, I think you know we look at all the the male characters in this movie and we look at the female ones and it's not a not a coincidence that it's like the female characters who are generally like stuck at the desks and not like they need to learn to assert themselves right. but they're told not to Right. And it, well, then, of course, there's also among the females, there's this great sort of um, there's this great division between like the classically beautiful yeah. spy that they can't stand played by Marina Baccarin, who's sort of, you know, gets not only gets all the guys, but gets all the good missions and sort of always looks awesome. And and so both Melissa McCarthy's character and this one played by Miranda Hart, who's named Nancy, who kind of becomes her Susan. Right. She becomes her in-ear advisor once she goes out in the field. They're both sort of not conventionally beautiful, you know, a little bit nerdy. They can't really get it together. And, you know, so there's also a little bit of a kind of nerds rise up energy to the end, which is great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they basically do everything that's worthwhile in the movie, including killing the big bad villain in the end, who turns out to be not the Rose Byrne character, but actually the Bobby Cannavale character, um, who I will say I think is a little underused 
by this movie. I love Bobby Cannavale, and he was just fine. And we yeah, know, he, he needed, just didn't he get needed, a lot of screen time. He needed time. more chance to sit in his lair and you know say yeah. Bond villain like things because he he could be a great Bond villain. Uh, one more thing about the uh, the female friendship between Miranda Hart and Melissa mm-hmm. McCarthy is just that there's a really nice kind of frozen style ending where she has her choice. Melissa McCarthy ba- basically has her choice of men to go off with at the end. Aldo is always available for groping, right. and uh, and the Jude Law character, who of course was not really dead, and then we think briefly is a double agent, but then it turns out that he is still a good guy, um, invites her out to dinner with apparently romantic intent at the end. Yeah. And uh, and she ends up turning him down saying, eh, maybe another time. I think I'm going to have a girl's night out. And so the idea at the end, I think, is that these two women are going to go celebrate their victory. And that's not presented as some huge feminist triumph. It's just part of the, the whole fabric of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason that this that the feminist aspects of this movie really work is that they're mostly kind of subtle and uh, below the surface. It's not just like constant girl power rah-rah. Right. I want to talk about the credits and the little tiny tag at the end of the credits, but first, let me talk about one thing I didn't like in this movie and hear what you think about that, which is that it, for a light comedy and a sort of genre pastiche about Bond, is strangely violent and gory from the very beginning. The body count is extremely high. The fight scenes have those kind of cracking bone sounds that are in, like, martial arts movies from Asia, which have always grossed me out. You know, just really, really loud cracking bones. And sometimes the sight of, like, somebody's arm or leg wrenched out of its socket. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's there's just a lot of gore. There's a really, really disgusting scene where Zach Woods, who is a character that I feel like we all love. Zach Woods always plays someone so adorable and needy, right, on Silicon Valley and on Veep. And, uh, and he has his throat, like, burned out by acid when he drinks poison. And it's, there's just something so gratuitously mean about it. It reminded me of that tracheotomy scene in The Heat, the last Paul Feig vehicle for McCarthy. Oh, wow. There's this I moment when totally Bullock and McCarthy have to yeah. do this emergency tracheotomy. And I remember just thinking, this is, like, needlessly gross. And there's blood pouring everywhere. And I don't mean to be squeamish. I mean, in the right context, like, I'm not against some degree of gore. But why does Paul Feig need to put that in his movies? I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it bothered me as much, but I do think it did not work um, as well as other aspects of the movie. And it kind of pointed um, to a a larger weakness of this movie for me, which is that it seemed like it couldn't quite decide how much it was just a joke a second comedy and to what extent it was uh, more of like an action comedy in kind of the Jackie Chan mode where it actually wanted to be a successful sci- spy thriller in some ways. Like another, uh, you know, I mentioned the opening credits and how there's no joke in the mm-hmm. opening credits. Right. They're like Saul Bass-ish, but there's not, right, they don't yeah. do any anything more with it I than mean, the, the only twist at all, like they're exactly a James Bond opening credit sequence except for at some point the James Bond character takes off his mask and reveals that he was actually a woman all right. along. Although, did you notice it's a woman with a slim silhouette at that beginning? It's yeah. not like a Melissa McCarthy silhouette that you see. It's more like a Rose Byrne silhouette. Right, right. Um, but the violence and gore didn't bother you? I mean, I'm not going to say it, it's going to send me out of the movie, but I don't get what it's doing in there. I mean, I think it was mostly just cheap, gross-out humor. I think the most ex- successful example of this, it, it's maybe telling that it was the time that... Uh, Melissa McCarthy's character throws a baddie off a ledge and he falls onto basically a giant steel pole. Like a piece of rebar that impales it. This is your favorite part? This is disgusting. Well, no, no, no. So this is what I'm saying. It was gross. And the reason it became a great example of this is that she looks at him and gets sick and then throws up on him. (laughs) And that got, I mean, it was gross, but it was a gross 
it was uh, it was gross in a way that the audience could relate to because I think the audience was like, "Ew, gross! This makes me want to throw up." And then she did, and everybody f- suddenly like felt connected. I to guess Melissa I can McCarthy see how that saves it. Although, laugh. but to me, barfing on screen is another thing that like only when absolutely necessary. Barf jokes really gross me out too. Although, what what did save it was the kind of sweet fact that she doesn't want to barf on the guy she just yeah. accidentally <laughs> impaled. Right. So there's this funny line where she says like, "Not on him, not on him," and then she does barf on him. Okay. Well, we'll leave the violence and gore aside. It probably won't bother most people as much as it bothered me, and I don't think it should keep you from seeing no. Spy. But let's, since we're spoiling, let's just talk about the um, the credit sequence. Well, there's not much to say about the credit sequence except just that it's clever, the closing credit sequence, and yeah. it sort of shows us some future missions. It basically plots out, you know, the briefs about future missions that Susan is going to be sent on to, you know, Mount Everest in various places, and Jason Statham also pops up as, you know, somebody who's going to be involved in these missions. But it's worth staying through the closing credits because there's a little tag at the end that I think is quite subversive in addition to being really funny. So let's describe that. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen her go off to have her girls' night. But then halfway through the closing credits, uh, we come back to her in bed and she wakes up. And the Jason Statham character is there. Right. Well, when she when she wakes up in a room where a party has clearly happened, right? right? And it was mentioned before that they were going to have champagne and beef jerky. And you see, like, the remains of that lying around the room. So I thought it was going to be Miranda Hart, her fellow agent. And the idea yeah. would be, like, the girls' night out either turned into a sexual girls' night out, which would really be taking things in a new direction, or the two of them just conked out in a hotel bed together. But then, wonder of wonders, the blanket gets pulled down, and it's Jason Statham, who's kind of been, not her nemesis, but her sort of, like, buffoonish foil for the entire movie. And the last time we saw him, he was circling around that lake in his speedboat, right? Being a fool. And then they ended up sleeping together. And I just, there was something so hilarious about that. I just kind of loved it. I mean, in terms of your theory about this, the the villain being the patriarchy and not being any one man or group of men, I just thought it was, it was great. Just the idea that, you know, sure, I'll, I'll sleep with my, (laughs) my nemesis, you know, whatever for a night. He's, he's cute. And, uh, and then there's a, um, an outtake or a crack up. I don't know if it was deliberately scripted or not, but there's this moment that she breaks him up by saying something like, well, next time we do that, don't do that with your thumb again. And then they both crack up and can't stop laughing. Um, And to me, it was just it was a really sweet and bizarre ending, not to mention kind of, I think, a subtle hint that there may be a sequel to come. Yeah, I definitely think that that's the sense I got from the closing credits. And I, I suspect this movie will do really well and that there probably will be a sequel. It would be, I wouldn't mind a franchise of this movie and of this character because um, Melissa McCarthy really kind of carries it on her shoulders. Yeah. But so in case it wasn't obvious from our, you know, essentially almost nonstop gushing for the last 20 minutes, you would recommend this movie. Yeah, absolutely. All, all two hours of it. Yeah. For all of its flaws and not kind of being the comic achievement that Bridesmaids was, it's, it's a really fun summer comedy and Melissa McCarthy kills it. Oh, and the other brilliant thing about this movie is that it's opening in a brilliant bit of counter-programming opposite the Entourage movie. And I think we can definitely agree that your money should go towards this movie and not well, towards I mean, Entourage. if your theory is true that the patriarchy is the villain of this movie, it's basically the Entourage hero the of Entourage, right? <laughs> right? Although I haven't seen Entourage, I should give it some credit, but based on the show, I'm going to guess. I think that's safe to say. All right, Forrest, well, thank you so much for coming in to Spoil Spy with me. Thanks for having me. Our producer is Joel Meyer. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hi, I'm Paul Rauschenbusch, host of HuffPost Religions Altogether podcast. Each week, we feature compelling conversations on spirituality, religion, and ethics with fascinating people from around the globe. On this week's episode, I'll be speaking with some powerful, inspiring Muslim women leaders from Afghanistan, who will bring us up to date on how women are faring in that deeply patriarchal culture. Please join me on All Together and be challenged and inspired by these Muslim heroines. 
You can download and subscribe to HuffPost Religions altogether on iTunes or Stitcher.